0: Good evening, everyone, and we thank the cooks again for a lovely, we call it tea, I think you call it supper. Heart disease is the number one killer in the world today. So what I'd like to look at today is heart disease preventable, Is can heart disease be conquered? Can the arteries be cleaned out? Can the heart be strengthened? But when you understand that the human body's been designed to heal itself, I think you'll realize that the answer to all those questions is yes. And we've seen some incredible turnarounds in the health retreats that I've been running. So what I'd like to look at is, I'd like to start with a Bible verse and it's found in proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 where the bible says keep the heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life so keep the heart with all diligence meaning we're going to look after this heart we've got to strengthen this heart and it can be strengthened so we're going to look at that and then the next part says because out of it are the issues of life leviticus 17 11 the bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood and we know that the, that the heart is the pump that pumps the blood all through the human body. So any part of the body that is not getting blood will actually die. It will quickly die. So there are some simple treatments that can strengthen the heart. There are some simple herbs and things that can keep that blood nice and thin and even... Open and strengthen the arterial walls but what the heart is is it's a muscle so let's have a look at what the muscle is made up of it's made up of cells and as we've looked at a few times this week the glucose goes into the cell under the action of insulin and we're going to be looking at insulin in a little bit more detail after the break So the insulin is the key that unlocks the door to get the glucose into the cell. When the glucose gets into the cell, it goes through a 20-step pathway and this 20-step pathway delivers two units of energy. The end result of the 20-step pathway is a chemical form of glucose and this chemical form of glucose is called pyruvate. Pyruvate is the chemical form of glucose gets fed into the what's often called the powerhouse of the cell called the powerhouse of the cell because this 8 step pathway delivers to us 36 units of energy what makes the difference is oxygen whereas the 20 step pathway does not use oxygen the 20 step pathway creates energy by the process of fermentation our heart is a muscle and those the muscle is made up of cells, and here and here is how the cell is working. When we ensure that we're getting adequate oxygen, oxygen coming in, every single cell that makes up the muscle, the heart, it'll work more effectively. So I'm going to be listing here the true remedies, those eight laws of health. So pure air. When we're breathing in pure air, I trust you're breathing pure in while you're sleeping. I trust your windows are open every night. And the most powerful way to oxygenate your body is exercise. And exercise is probably the number one way to strengthen the heart. And probably your pulse is one indication of how strong your heart is. The stronger your heart is, the lower your pulse will be. And that's not genetics. My son, uh, Peter, when he was 25, he's in his mid-30s now, he was training for a triathlon. And he was running up and down the hills behind Brisbane so what he was doing, and this is the most effective form of exercise, it's the high intensity interval training. So as the name implies, they are intervals of high intensity and intervals of recovery. And when, you've, when you're exercising where there are hills, that's what you've got. It's high intensity up, recovery down. Now my son, Peter, is a tiler. And he was a junior tiler at this time. And it was in an old bathroom and it had an old 50s size, um, <clears throat> not 50 size, but a 50s type vanity unit, big um, ceramic thing. And it had a huge chip out of it and very heavy. And as he was maneuvering it, he'd loosened it, got it out, it slipped and hit his ankle. And I think if he hadn't had a bone in there, it would have cut his foot off. And the blood hit the roof. And he yelled out to my son, who's about, well, he's about eight years older. He's also a builder. He said, James. And James said to him, I'm on the phone, mate. And I'll tell you that to show you that there was a little bit of a delay before James came in. And I think Peter said, quick. <coughs> so James came in. And James said when he came into the bathroom, the blood was spattered all over the roof, all over the walls. And the reason that was so, you see, when they went to hospital and they took his pulse, it was about 50 beats per minute. Peter's heart was so strong that when it beat it it pushed the blood with such a burst that the blood hit the roof. Now if Peter, if Peter's pulse was 70 beats per minute, the blood wouldn't hit the roof. The reason why Peter's pulse was so so slow is because of the exercise. Because he was running up and down hills. And that's what you'll find as you implement an exercise program, and we all should have an exercise program. We're training for something more important than the Olympic games. Do the Olympian athletes miss a day? Never. What are we training for? We're training for life. We're training for our latter years. And I want to enjoy my latter years. I often forget, but I think I'm probably nearing my latter years. But as this name implies, this high intensity interval training, are intervals of high intensity, intervals of recovery. So the research has been showing, and Dr. Doug McGuff, who's a heart specialist, he implemented this for his heart patients. And he found that 30 seconds high intensity was a good amount. In fact, I've, looked at a, a, I've read a few books on the matter, and the common denominator is 30 seconds is a good time. Now, when I first started to do this, I got to 20 seconds and my body says, yeah, that'll do. Because I'm running very fast up a hill. When I got to 25 seconds, my body's saying, this is getting ridiculous. And when I get to 30 seconds, I nearly feel like I'm dying. If I didn't count, I actually wouldn't get to that. (laughs) And my husband and I, back at Misty, we run up and down the hills every morning. And we're not talking when we're running up the hills. We do the talk in recovery time. Recovery time seems to average out with the average fitness person at about 90 seconds. That's about a minute and a half. How do you know when you've had enough recovery when you feel you could once again run for your life? What if you can't run? Uh, Exercise bike. Most of the research on high-intensity interval training has been done on the exercise bike. So if people have knee or ankle or hip problems or balance problems, they're holding on. And if their knee and ankles aren't happy, most of the weight is on the hips and you can hold on and you can cycle very, very fast. And then in recovery time, for Michael and I, recovery is walking down the hill. On an exercise bike, recovery time might be just um, cycling very slowly. Research shows that if you're doing something in recovery time, it's more effective than if you just sit still and you might feel like leaning against the tree. This is usually done for a cycle. And that cycle is usually done for a cycle of six. So this is 15 minutes. I've been generous there. That's not long, is it? everyone's got 15 minutes if you don't think you've got 15 minutes what's how many how many hours have we been given in a day 24 hours this is this is only a quarter of one hour that's all it takes we're such a fast society today we're so busy I'm busy but I read this in a in a little book called um, called health Ministry where the writer said, In a short time, you will so realize the benefits of pure air and exercise, you you could not live without these blessings. And that's what I have found. So no matter rain, hail or shine, maybe a blizzard I won't go out. But if the rain is such that it's difficult to walk, then I'll do push-ups, I'll do rebounding, I'll do something. Or even just stretching, stretching, big stretches for a long time. Or I'll do the push-ups. Or sit-ups, up and down, up and down. We should be able to do that every day. I was reading in a book by Dr. Paul Brand called um, The Gift of Pain. Interesting book, fascinating book. And he showed that in India, um, a lot of the women who were having hip problems, they found that around the ball was quite clear. Whereas compared to Western women, the balls of their hip joints usually had little growths either side and he came, he, he came to the conclusion that's it's because the Indian women are like this half a day or they're, or they're sitting cross-legged so their legs come out, but the Western women, the legs are always like this. <laughs> Since I read that, i try and sit, sit uh, squatting a little bit more. It's not very long. What you will find is when you implement an exercise program, you will be better prepared physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally for the whole day. But what I'm very thankful to uh, Dr. Doug McGuff in his book Body by Science, he takes us inside the cell to show us why that is so effective. So let me... Let me draw up the cell. We looked at this earlier in the week and we're going to have a look at it when we look at the uh, diabetes. So the carbohydrates break down to glucose and then the glucose is sent number one to the cell. The glucose is sent number two as glycogen stores. So what's glycogen stores? It's quick-release glucose stores and they look like a bunch of grapes. They're little molecules of glucose. That's why the very best time to exercise is early in the morning. You don't need to eat. In fact, if you eat and then exercise, you're going to have a war, a war between the stomach that's trying to digest and the legs that need more energy to get up the hill. You don't need to eat before you exercise because you've got a whole lot of stores. So when we eat, eat, the glucose is sent to the cell then the excess is stored as little molecules of glucose. And if if a person's still got glucose left over from that, it's stored as fat. I call it the most amazing fuel depot in the human body. It's called fat cells. And on the high carbohydrate, we looked at this when we're looking at our uh, the liver. They're getting bigger and bigger. But I want to show you now how... This high intensity reverses that. The 20 step pathway is a very fast pathway, whereas the 8 step pathway is quite slow. So, let me show you what happens in there when you're doing the high intensity. Probably by the second set, end of the second set of high intensity, all the glycogen stores have been plucked. All been plucked put through the pathway running out of fuel and so the brain says to the pituitary gland release the human growth hormone the human growth hormone is very active when we're growing probably doesn't surprise you to know that i stopped growing when i was 16. my son william he grew two inches from 21 to 23. boys can still be growing a lot later The human growth hormone goes into retirement when we stop growing. But we've got a bit of a crisis here. The person's running, they're exercising, and all the glycogen stores have been exhausted. And so the human growth hormone is activated and it causes a release of hormone-sensitive lipase. When we looked at fats, we looked at the fact... Lipase is the enzyme that breaks down fat. So hormone-sensitive lipase is released with the aim to release the basement stores, to release the fat cells. So when we run out of glycogen and we need more fuel, the pituitary gland releases human growth hormone and it activates hormone-sensitive lipase that starts releasing stores to give the glucose we need to run up the hill the human growth hormone causes the body to become a fat burner one of the reasons for this is glucose burns at four calories per gram whereas fat it burns at nine calories per gram and a calorie is a unit of energy So fat is going to give more than twice the units of energy compared to glucose. No wonder when we're running up a hill we've created a bit of a crisis. The body starts burning fat as fuel because it's going to give more than twice the units of energy. The human growth hormone also increases the body's ability to utilise protein. We've looked at the importance of protein this week, of eating sufficient protein of not drinking with your meals, so you're not watering down the enzymes to break down the protein. Here's another aspect. When you implement the high-intensity interval training, you cause a release of the human growth hormone that increases the body's ability to utilise protein. The human growth hormone also increases the circulation of the blood to the cell. This slows down ageing. Increasing the circulation of the blood to the cell also increases circulation to every part of the body. And one of the, one of the ways this human growth hormone helps the heart is that when the circulation of the blood is increased to the extremities, it takes pressure off the heart. That's why exercise is so important Not only to keep healthy, but to conquer disease, especially heart disease. In fact, Dr. Doug McGuffey says, when you start implementing this, we're not going to be able to hold you down. You will receive more energy than you expend on your morning walk. Because, well, your morning high-intensity interval training, because of the amount of oxygen that increases inside your body. And remember, when you've got enough oxygen going into your body, every cell's going to be able to give you that much energy. The uh, human growth hormone, <clears throat> once it's activated, it remains active for 24 hours. <clears throat> the movie stars pay $1,000 a week for that, so we're offering for you cut price today. 15 minutes of high intensity interval interval training a day will cause a release of that human growth hormone. So the fat cells start to get broken down. So that means weight loss. So there's a whole lot of benefits. So let's go back to the cell and look what's happening as we go through this. As you speed up with your high intensity the 20 step speeds up no wonder the eight step speeds up but there's a rate setting enzyme in there that will always keep this pathway faster than this pathway so more pyruvate is being made than can be fed into the powerhouse and so the body stores it like this as lactic acid you've heard of lactic acid In recovery time, remember recovery time is just going slower. If you're rebounding, you might be leaping for your high intensity and you might just be going like this for your, for your recovery. That's, that's called the health balance. In recovery time, the liver converts this lactic acid back to, pyru- back to pyruvate. That's in recovery time. So in recovery time, your cells are burning just as much fuel as when you're running for your life. But not only that, in recovery time, all the lactic acid being mopped up. It's the best exercise that there is. And the researchers are showing today that it is the most powerful form of exercise to the point that this is how uh, trainers are training their athletes today. Because it's less time, and yet it's more powerful. And so to prevent heart disease and to reverse heart disease, exercise is vital. Number three, sunshine. Now we haven't had much sun over the last few days, have we? But the good news is, vitamin D stores very well in the body. And the best way to get sunshine is to expose the body as much as possible to the sun. So I was asked the question, what sunscreen do you use? I don't. I don't use sunscreen at all. Have you read what's on the packet of the sunscreen? Our skin needs sun to get the vitamin D. the ultraviolet rays from the sun hit a form of cholesterol just under the skin to vitamin D. What's converted to vitamin D? Cholesterol. But isn't cholesterol the number one cause of heart disease? No. I'd like to take this moment to give you the cholesterol story. Remember Proverbs 14, verse 6, knowledge is easy to him that understands. Your liver makes cholesterol and the cholesterol that your liver makes, 80% is made from glucose and 20% is made from fat. So, yes, just even this piece of information alone tells you it's not the butter on the bread, it's the bread under the butter that's the problem. The wrong guy's been shot. In fact, fat's been shot because of who it hangs around with. It's not the olive oil on the pasta, it's the pasta under the olive oil. So let's move on and let me show you a little bit more. The two main cholesterols made in the body are HDL and LDL. High-density lipoprotein, low-density lipoprotein. They both have a role in the body but unfortunately HDL has been called the good guy but LDL is called the bad guy, am I right? But the the body doesn't make anything bad, they have a role. So the role of HDL is the carrier and this carrier carries excess cholesterol back to the the liver, where the liver is what makes it, whereas LDL It's the repairer and the rebuilder. So wherever there's a job of repair or rebuilding, you will find LDL. LDL plays another role. LDL delivers cholesterol to the brain. And and the brain loves cholesterol. And the reason the brain loves cholesterol is because when it burns fat as fuel, it's getting twice the units of energy. In fact, the brain is the fattiest organ in the body. The membrane around every cell is 50% fat, except the brain cell, it's 70% fat. Now these two cholesterols work together in the body. So here is blood vessel. Because of its low density, LDL is always on the edge. Because of its high density, HDL is always in the middle. In her book, Put Your Heart in Your Mouth, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, she spends the first three or four chapters showing what causes damage to the arterial wall. So what causes damage to the arterial wall? The arterial wall is made up of little endothelium cells and they get damaged quite easily. So environmental poisons, chemicals, damage the cells. Cigarette smoke. In fact, in a cigarette, there's 4,000 chemicals, more chemicals. Chemicals in clothing, chemicals in laundry detergents, chemicals in food, they're all coming in, contributing to the damage. What also damages is mercury, mercury is a neurotoxin, it can damage the arterial walls. What can also damage the arterial walls is mould, mould is a toxic poison. So who's going to plug up the holes, students? LDL that's its role Unfortunately today people are not aware of the damage that these chemicals are causing and so what's happening in the arterial walls is we've got build up <clears throat> what's that called that's atherosclerosis to say that cholesterol causes heart disease is like saying the fire trucks are causing the fire. Well, they must be. Have you noticed they're the one common denominator at every fire? God made the liver to make cholesterol for a purpose. It's just doing its job. Something else comes into the equation. There are little protein molecules floating all through our blood and when someone's on a very high carbohydrate diet, high sugar diet, there's got excess glucose floating through the blood and it connects with these little protein molecules and becomes sticky and it sticks, they stick to the walls of the arteries and what they can do is they can get dislodged and There's the blockage. That's the number one cause of a stroke if it's in the carotid arteries. That's the number one cause of a heart attack happening in the heart muscle. So can you see by what I've shown you here, it's not one thing that causes heart disease. It's a whole lot of little things. Can that be cleared out? Absolutely, it can be cleared out. You might have heard of a very famous American doctor. Her name's Dr. Agatha Thrash. She's passed now that her and her husband started, Uchi Pines, she used to tell the story of a lady that came to their retreat who was an alcoholic. She was in her, I think, early 70s. She had a total turnaround at the health retreat. She went through the detox program. She gave her heart to God. And she said to Agatha, I don't want to leave. And Agatha said, I think we can make a place for you here. And she helped out. After ten months, the lady um, had a stroke and she died. I think an embolism had burst in her in her brain. So Agatha Thrash did a post mortem on her, and she said her arteries were clear. And when she came to them ten months earlier, she had eighty five, sometimes ninety. Five percent occlusion meaning blockage of her arteries you can't always put a time on it for how long but that's quite amazing isn't it so in 10 months maybe even shorter than that going on a plant-based diet stopping anything that would come in and harm these arterial walls her arteries had cleared so that's the good news I was telling this at one of our retreats and we had two young women there who were nutritionists. They said, what? We were told in our nutrition course that they cannot be cleared. I never say never. We live in an incredible body with an inbuilt ability to heal itself if you give it the right conditions. So it's the number one killer in the world today is heart disease. So what are the authorities doing to get that down? Are they trying? Well, they certainly have implemented a few things. And one of the things they've implemented, and this was about the 80s, was a fat-free diet. Is that right? Low-fat diet. Stop butter and they, they uh, produced margarine. They said it's the saturated fat that causes heart disease. But in his book, The Great Cholesterol Con, Dr. Malcolm Kendrick, who's a British um, cardiovascular surgeon, noticed the title of his book, The Great Cholesterol Con. He said, for the first time, normal levels of a normal vital body substance is being called a disease. He said, there is no proof. There is no proof that cholesterol causes heart disease. They're I shocking. I have a few books. One's called The Great Cholesterol Lie by Dr Dwight Lundell, another cardiovascular surgeon. Uh, the Great Cholesterol Deception by Dr Peter Dingle. He's a PhD in Australia. Uh, the Great Cholesterol Hoax. Uh, the Great Cholesterol Myth by Johnny Bowden. We're running out of words. It's not cholesterol and it's not fat. If it was fat, the Maasai would be dying like flies. They live on meat, blood, and milk. Zero heart disease. And if it was saturated fat, when white men landed on the South Pacific Islands, they would have found a huge amount of heart disease and strokes in the islanders. Zero. And yet they're eating saturated fat every meal. The The French, oh they love their butters and their cheeses and their creams, very low heart disease. So let's have a look at what else medicine is doing to try and get heart disease down. They've lowered the levels. Did you know that 40 years ago a cholesterol level of 300 was perfectly normal? Have we changed? We haven't changed at all, we've still got the same body. How do I know this? We had a nutritionist do our program and she's 69. She said, I've got the advantage of being in university 40 years ago. She said 40 years ago, 300 was perfectly normal. Is it perfectly normal today? We're told it's not, but it is. So if someone says to me, Barbara, my cholesterol's 290, I say, great. That's really good. The Framingham Heart Study, you've heard of it. It was a little, it's a little town in, Framing, in the US, Framingham. <clears throat> it's been going for about 30 years. Probably about 40,000 people have been on the study. Some die, more come on. It was set up to prove that cholesterol causes heart disease, but it hasn't. It hasn't at all. In fact, what it did show is that people with high cholesterol levels don't get Alzheimer's. Do you need a moment's silence to digest that? Can you see why? Because the brain is the fattiest organ in the body and it needs fat. We had a midwife do our program. She was in her 80s. She said, I I worked as a midwife in Africa for 40 years. And she said, if something was happening with the babies while I was there, their brains weren't developing properly. The doctors were getting very concerned. So they assessed what was happening. And the mothers were influenced by the baby milk companies, were stopping breastfeeding, putting their babies on the powdered milk and watering down the milk. So that the powder would last longer. So those developing brains weren't getting the fat that they needed. Because the brain needs fat to function. And that's why the ketogenic diet is effective with uh, epilepsy. Because the liver converts the fat to ketones. And ketones are neurohealers, neuroprotectors. And so if someone has a stroke or a heart disease, they're put on cholesterol-lowering medication. Is that right? And a very popular one is Lipitor. I have a book at home. It's called The Thief, Lipitor, Thief of Memory. And it's by Dr. Duane, who's a, who is a doctor and an astronaut. And he went for his yearly checkup. I think it was early 50s. And they said, ah, oh, your cholesterol level's a little bit high. What was it? It was 220 cholesterol levels are a bit high, I want you to go on this uh, Lipitor. Now no one wants to die of a heart attack, so he took the Lipitor. Six weeks later, his wife found him out in the garden, wandering around, he didn't know who she was, he didn't know who he was, he didn't know where he was. So they stopped the Lipitor and within, within a few days, in fact it took two weeks before he had clarity again. A year later, he went for his yearly checkup. His cholesterol levels were still 220 and the doctor said, oh, I'm not happy with those levels. I want you to go back on that Lipitor. And he said, forget it, mate. I nearly went mad on that stuff. And the doctor said, that's very rare. Let's just put you on half dose. Six weeks later, his wife found him out in the garden, didn't know who she was, didn't know who he was, didn't know where he was. So he stopped immediately. Because sometimes the person themselves, they don't realize that it's creeping up on them. The side effect of cholesterol-lowering medication is memory loss, Alzheimer's, dementia, muscle wasting, and they've just added another one, breast cancer. Because our sex hormones, as we saw last night, are made from cholesterol. We had a chemist do our program, she said, I'm a chemist, I'm not a pharmacist, you call it here. She said, I'm not against drugs, that's my work. She said, I have my own private practice and I work in a hospital a few days a week. And she said, recently a circular went, a circular went round that everyone with a cholesterol level above 190 had to go on cholesterol one medication. She said, I'm annoyed because she said, this is just a money-making scheme. This is the pharmacist telling me this. She said, "If someone's on antibiotics, they're on it for a week. How long are they on it? If they're, if how long are they on it? If they're put on cholesterol medication, how long are they told they've got to be on it for? Life. I'm in New Zealand. I'm in a little town there, and I'm giving meetings. And Tuesday night, I gave a meeting on heart health, and I told the truth on cholesterol. Two days later." So this is Tuesday night, Thursday night. A couple came up and said, "Can we speak to you?" And they looked like they're in their mid seventies. He said, "I want to tell you about my wife." And she just was very quiet. She said, "He said my wife's been on Lipitor for ten years. She was starting to lose it. She was starting to do strange things. We couldn't trust her with ironing anymore." He said, "So many things were happening that we were we were." feeling compelled to put her in an aged care facility. He said, we heard your lecture. We stopped the Lipitor that night. He said, I'm, I'm just here to tell you we've got my wife back. It's two days. Two days. And they, they both had tears in their eyes. Wow. If you are on cholesterol-lowering medication and you stop, there will be a side effect. Your memory will return. Do you know the Bible says there's a great deceiver who's deceiving the whole world? <laughs> and you can see it through this. So what have they done to, to get heart disease down, lowered the levels, uh, put people on fat-free diets or margarine diets? Has that, has that lowered heart disease? I put many on Lipitor. Has that lowered heart disease? Not at all. Not at all. And since margarine's come along, something else has come up. It's called cancer. Because margarine is a toxic fat. The heart must be kept with all diligence. So how do we keep the heart with all diligence? Daily exercise is vital to strengthen the heart. Daily sunshine is important for the vitamin D. The fourth law is temperance. That means not taking anything into the body that will harm it and taking in moderation the good things. And there are two things that I would like to absolutely define for heart disease and that is caffeine Caffeine disrupts the neurotransmitters in the brain. Caffeine causes an insulin response. Caffeine actually causes a crisis response. So when someone is in a crisis, their blood pressure rises to cope with the crisis. That's what caffeine does. Also, tobacco. Tobacco also causes a crisis in the body. Tobacco also damages the arterial walls. Caffeine thickens the blood, causes dehydration, as does tobacco. Remember we looked at keeping the heart with all diligence for out of are the issues of life. So not only heart health, but also arterial health. Number five is sleep. Our body recharges in those night hours. We looked at that, I think, the night before last. Is that when we looked at it? We need to be eating, we need to be sleeping eight hours a night. Eight hours. I know my eight accent's a bit funny, but that's four and four equal eight. Eight. So you've got a choice that can be. 8 p.m. to 4 a.m., not this week, 9 p.m. to 5 a.m., my favorite, or at a stretch 10 to 6. If your body is not doing that and you're finding it difficult, just take steps and little by little train your body back into doing that. We looked at how you can do that. Six, proper diet. We've looked at proper diet a few times. That, That heart muscle needs nourishment. It needs high fiber. There's all your plant foods. There's your vegetables, your fruits, your whole grains. It needs generous, generous proteins. There's your legumes, nuts and seeds. The ladies have been faithful. I think we've had legumes every night. Is that right? And healthy fats. There is no proof that saturated fat causes heart disease. No proof. So healthy fats. There's your nuts and your seeds. There's your coconut oils, your, your olive oils. Yes, they are concentrated fats, and we should not be having a lot of them. But they're very concentrated. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I could drink a half a cup of olive oil. <laughs> a little bit. It's a concentrated food, but we do need it. There's your proper diet. Water. But not only water, something else. And that is salt. How much water a day? At least eight glasses. They're eight ounce glasses. Little by little all through the day. It's the best blood thinner. When I used to be the health director at Misty Mountain Health Retreat in Australia, I did a live blood analysis. We took a drop of blood, put it on the screen, on the microscope, and it came up on the screen. And sometimes I would see blood that was all clumped, like this. Blood should be like this. And I would always investigate, and I would find in 99% of cases, the person hadn't drunk enough water. So they'd start drinking more water. I'd look at their blood two days later, and it looks like this. Misty Mountain Health Retreat used to average 12 to 14 guests every week. This is three weeks a month, so years and years of looking at blood. So there's hundreds of bloods I've looked at. And as I said to you, 99% of the time, it was dehydration that caused this. So I know that water is the best blood thinner. But also salt. Let me give you the salt story. Seawater contains 92 minerals. Of those 92 minerals, 30% is made up of sodium and 50% is made up of chloride. And because sodium chloride make up the most amount of minerals, They're the first crystals formed when water is evaporated from seawater. So man scoops that up, bleaches it white, puts aluminium with it so it runs freely. There's your table salt. And the doctor's right. Table salt can contribute to high blood pressure. Table salt only has two minerals. Let me show you why. I'll draw the cell again. Around the cell is a bilayed membrane and in that bilayed membrane there are calcium potassium pumps. And those, um, sorry, sodium potassium pumps. And those sodium potassium pumps are always going like this. And the highest concentration of mineral outside the cell is sodium. The highest concentration inside the cell is potassium. There should be a little bit of sodium there. When someone's sprinkling table salt on everything, their sodium levels start to go too high. Potassium is found in all our fresh fruits and vegetables. If someone's not eating fresh fruit and vegetables, potassium levels drop. Now these two minerals are so harsh that they can kill the taste buds. That's why people put it on everything without even tasting whether it needs it or not. So what's happening when this happens, sodium going too high, potassium dropping too low, osmosis and diffusion happens when the highest concentration merges into a lower concentration, so now we're getting sodium go too high in the cell, and that causes the cell to swell. There's your high blood pressure. (coughs) Dr. Lilangri, he's a French doctor, he's written a whole book on salt. He said, we have no problems with salt in France because, he said, in France, we have hand-harvested sea salt. It's called Celtic salt. And Celtic salt has 82 minerals. He said, when I get someone with high blood pressure, I put them on Celtic salt because it brings the proper mineral balance in. If someone's used to no salt, they should start slowly. Dr. Robert Thompson in his book, The Calcium Lie*, he says a little tiny crystal of salt that might be the size of a sesame seed before every glass of water. So that's eight times a day. He says all that'll do is replace the minerals you lost yesterday. We lose it when we perspire. We lose it when we urinate. We lose it from our collar. And we must replace it. In the Bible, in the... In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, Yeah, the salt of the earth, if the salt has lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. I love the old English. If the salt has lost its savour, I'd like to suggest that this salt has lost its savour. It's lost all the other minerals. What does the Bible say now? It's now good for nothing. But to be cast under, or trodden under foot of men. And that's when I was in Minneapolis in the winter and they're just throwing the salt on the road. I think it, I think, do you do it here too? It melts the ice or something. I, we don't have snow where I live. What about Himalayan salt? Himalayan salt is similar. Himalayan salt has 70 Five minerals. So it's pretty close. But the beauty of the Celtic salt is that it contain, contains three magnesiums. It contains magnesium bromide, it contains magnesium sulfate and it contains magnesium chloride. Now the reason why I'm mentioning the magnesiums is because magnesium is a muscle relaxant and it relaxes the heart muscle. And when someone has high blood pressure the magnesium is important to relax that heart muscle. So another reason why this salt is very important with heart disease, with high blood pressure. So when you take the water Take the salt. You don't need much, just a little bit. It restores the mineral balance inside the body. If you're not used to water, take it little by little by little all through the day. It's the best way to take it. And when we looked at digestion, we saw that you have to stop half an hour before the meal and resume about an hour and a half after the meal. Eight. The eighth law is trusting God. And I think most people realise that stress plays a big part in heart disease, in high blood pressure. And God's given some beautiful verses in the Bible that we can take and make our own. And one's found in Isaiah 26, verse 3, where the Bible says that God will keep him in perfect peace he whose mind trusts in God. Lovely verse. Another one's found in John chapter 14 at verse 27 where Jesus says to his disciples which includes us he said peace I leave with you my peace I give unto you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be dismayed it contains three magnesiums it contains magnesium bromide it contains magnesium sulfate and it contains magnesium chloride. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning the magnesiums is because magnesium is a muscle relaxant and it relaxes the heart muscle. And when someone has high blood pressure, the magnesium is important to relax that heart muscle. So another reason why this salt is very important with heart disease, with high blood pressure. So when you take the water, take the salt. You don't need much, just a little bit. It restores the mineral balance inside the body. If you're not used to water, take it little by little by little all through the day. It's the best way to take it. And when we looked at digestion, we saw that you have to stop half an hour before the meal and resume about an hour and a half after the meal. Eight. The eighth law is trusting God. And I think most people realize that stress plays a big part in heart disease, in high blood pressure. And God's given some beautiful verses in the Bible that we can take and make our own. And one's found in Isaiah 26 verse 3, where the Bible says that God will keep him in perfect peace, he whose mind trusts in God. Lovely verse. Another one's found in John chapter 14 at verse 27, where Jesus says to his disciples, which includes us, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be dismayed. So when when the Bible says, let not your heart be troubled, it's a choice. We can choose to worry, or we can choose to let it go. So I've got a flight home on the 7th of November. Will I get home? Will I be allowed in? Do you know I don't give it a moment's thought? I don't let my heart be troubled. Because what good will that do for me? Will that get me on that plane? (laughs) And when we looked at depression and I showed you the prefrontal cortex, where we make our, that's our reason, our intellect and our judgment. That's where we make our decisions. Remember 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, where the Bible says, I have not given you the spirit of fear but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. A sound mind considers these things. And the sound mind says, worry's not going to add or make it better. Voice, is that right? Oh, I think it's come back. <laughs> There's another old saying that says, worry is blind and cannot discern the future. So it's a choice. And I have found, In a well-oxygenated body, well-exercised body, well-slept body, a well-nourished body, a well-sunned body, a well-hydrated body, that prefrontal cortex is working better and it's a lot easier to say, no, I'm not going to take that on. God's given us one moment and in a minute he'll give us another moment. He's given us one day. Love this day. And when you love the moment, past pain fades and future worries don't seem as bad. So relax. Do you know one of the best ways to relax is breathe deeply. Breathe very, very deeply. There's a town near us that has a remedial massage therapist. And from time to time I go to see him and, oh, does he dig deep? And as soon as he's digging deep into some part of me that's got a knot, I start to breathe very very deeply one of our other girls went to see him and he and she was squirming and squealing and he said you need to do what barbara does she breathes <laughs> she breathes you've heard of wim hof no 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 acknowledgement on wim hof wim hof is ah we've got some knots down the front he's a guy that that climbs mountains with shorts and t-shirts in the Himalayan mountains and he controls his temperature by breathing, by breathing. And we had a girl come and do our program, she's 33, and she had a little tattoo here that said, just breathe. I said, what's this? She said, I've been watching Wim Hof. She said, I got off my antidepressants. She said, I conquered my panic attacks by breathing. And she said, and whenever I'm stressed out, I see my little sign. Just breathe. Just breathe. So what are you doing there? You're getting powerful amounts of oxygen into your brain cells, 36 more units of energy. So before I close, I want to introduce you to a few herbs. One is the cayenne pepper. In Psalm 104, verse 14, the Bible says that God gave herbs for the service of man, and cayenne pepper is one of the best heart herbs we have cayenne pepper does three things it thins the blood whereas aspirin it thins the blood to the point where it causes eye bleeds brain bleeds and stomach bleeds it's not a safe drug whereas cayenne pepper it thins the blood And it'll heal the brain bleeds from the aspirin in the brain and the eye and the stomach. Cayenne pepper also um, dilates the blood vessels. So with dilating the blood vessels, you get a more effective and efficient flow of blood through the whole body. And cayenne pepper strengthens the arterial wall. So if there has been damage in the arterial walls, the cane pepper will strengthen arterial walls. It's a powerful herb. How do you take it? Start with a quarter of a teaspoon and about a third of a cup of water just before each meal. Throw it down. It'll tingle a bit but the tingle stops. The other herb is hawthornberry berry strengthens the heart. In fact, if the blood pressure is low, it'll bring it up. If it's high, it'll bring it down. Remember Psalm 104 verse 14, God made herbs for the service of man. The hawthornberry comes in and whatever your body needs to do, whatever your heart needs to do, it will work with that. So you can take it in many ways. You can take it as a herb tea. If you take it as a herb tea, being a dried berry, it needs to be gently simmered. And the rule of thumb is two teaspoons to a cup of water, and ideally you would have a litre of that a day. Or you can buy it in a capsule form or a tablet form, and you can take up to 4,000 milligrams a day. It's a very safe herb and you can use it even in conjunction with blood pressure medication. So I'll give you the story of Henry to show you what he did. He was a retired judge. He came to our health retreat a few years ago now. He was, I think, 69 and he was on six medication. He was on medication for heart, for high blood pressure, for blood thinning, for blood cholesterol, for blood sugar for gout and for stomach ulcers, so he's on six medications. I said, are you interested in stopping your medication? He said, no, I'm very happy with my medication. Thank you very much. I always respect everyone's right for what they choose to put into their body. And shouldn't we? It's our God-given right. But we gave him hawthorn berry tea a day. We gave him a liter to drink through the day. It's not an unpleasant tea. We also gave him a little cayenne pepper, he was happy for us to try a few things he took the herbs with him when he went home he he he, uh, he rang me four months later he said Barbara I'd like to visit you and get a few more hawthorn berries I said come for lunch Henry now when I opened the door I did not recognize Henry he had lost 20 kilos in four months what's that 40 pound he said I can close I can do my coat up now All the puffiness had gone out of his face. He said, I've got a few stories for you. He said, I went to the doctor recently to have my blood pressure taken and the doctor stood up and left the room. He said, where are you going? He said, the machine's broken. Henry said, why do you say that? He said, well, your blood pressure is 160 on 95. Did you hear that? That's on medication. He said, this machine says your blood pressure is 120 on 80. It must be broken. Henry said, that's my blood pressure now. The doctor took him off all his medication because his blood thinning is normal, his blood cholesterol's normal, his blood sugars are normal, his blood pressure's normal, he has no more gout, and he does not have stomach ulcers anymore. I think this is an incredible story because remember what Henry did? Henry went home on all his medication. Who took him off his meds? His doctor because if the doctor didn't take him off his meds, his blood pressure would go too low, his blood thinning would go too low, he'd start bruising all over the place because drugs come in and say, get out of my way, I've got a job to do whether you need it or not. Not the herbs. The herbs work with the needs of the body. I said, tell me what you have for breakfast, Henry. He said, I have a spaghetti bowl of whole grain. You know, I usually cook some millet or rice or buckwheat. I have fruit, I have coconut cream. Did you hear that? Uh, 40 kilos lost on coconut cream. He said, I have chia seed and the ground flax and I have a slice of sourdough spelt toast with avocado and tomato. That's not a light meal, is it? He said, I don't eat until bre- until lunch. He said, I have big salad, I have steamed vegetables, I have some sort of legume protein and I might have another slice of sourdough spelt toast with avocado and tomato and he said, and I do not eat again till breakfast, very decisive man. So he lost 40 pounds on that diet, that's not a light diet. I said, tell me about your exercise program, Henry. He said, I find I can walk another block every week. As he gets smaller, as his muscles get stronger, as his heart gets stronger, he can go further less effort and less time. He wrote a letter to me, he's of the old school, writing letters. He wrote a letter to me, a year later, he said 38 kilos lost. So what's that, nearly, nearly 40 kilo, that's nearly 80 pound. Ooh. Incredible story of an incredible body that we live in that has an inbuilt ability to heal itself once it's given the right conditions. We're going to have a break now. Oops, we've gone a little bit longer, it's ten past seven, so please have a short break today, please try and come back by twenty past, and we're going to look at diabetes.